0: Have you ever asked yourself, who am I? Who am I at my essential core? I have asked this question to many, many people. And very often I ask someone, who are you? And they give me their business card. But I say to them, this is what you do. This is your work, your occupation, your profession. It's not necessarily who you are. And often the person will sigh in return and say, well, I've been doing this so long, what I do has defined who I am. Most of our adult lives are preoccupied with work. But is your personality or identity define your work or does your work define you? Please join me as we discuss this vital topic. Do I live to work or do I work to live? Hi, Simon Jacobson here. And we will be speaking about, do I live to work or work to live? This is not a simple question. Do you ever ask yourself, who am I? At your core, at your essential core, who am I? I've asked this question to many, many people over the years. And very often I ask, who are you? And someone gives me their business card and i say to them that's what you do that's your work that's your occupation that's your profession it's not necessarily who you are and very often the response will be with a sigh well i've been doing this so long what i do has become who i am think about that what you do has become who you are isn't who you are should def- isn't who you are should define what you do not what you do define who you are Most of our adult lives, literally in time, is occupied with work. We work most of the day. Time with family, time with our own internal values, time for yourself, especially in this challenging world where we often need to have more than one job, it really consumes most of our lives. So it's no wonder... That number one, we don't even have the time to stop and smell the roses and ask ourselves the question, who am I? Because your responsibilities, the expectations, the pressures to make ends meet is upon you. And even if you're working a very successful job and business, that too makes many demands. So what happens is the means of your life overshadow and overwhelm the end You know, the means and end. You go shopping, that's a means, in order to buy food, clothing, other necessities, in order to do something with that. Food, you need to sustain yourself. But that too, you can ask yourself, is sustaining myself a means or an end? But let's even say it's an end. So the shopping is not an end, it's only a stepping stone. But when you do something long enough, the means can become the end and you lose sight. What is the objective in the first place? Why am I here? Now, the truth is the best time to ask this question is when you're a child. Parents and educators would encourage us to ask this because that's the time where you're being shaped, educated, formed into an adult. You're not distracted by making a living and all the pressures of life. So that's the time when we do our soul search and should do our soul search and discover who am I. But it's not always the case. Because very often education has become an education to teach you what to do, not who you are. You see the catch. That is why this is so critical topics to speak about. Because even though we may be in the middle of the rat race and and already flying at 90 miles an hour on a merry-go-round or a roller coaster or whatever people call life, where they say life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans, is that the circumstances of our life The means, our work, defines so much of who we are. And the real you gets buried in the process and obfuscated. Now, when you throw into the equation expectations of parents, of educators, of society itself, it's not difficult to imagine why some of us have no clue who we are at the core True life can only be lived when you live from the inside out, not from the outside in. Yes, we do live in a material world. We need to make a living. We need to be able to take care of our physical survival and sustenance and existence. But that should be an expression of the inner self. And therefore, no matter how busy you are, it's time to pause and say, okay, I'm not going to stop my job. I'm going to ask myself this question. And there's always time. We have weekends, we have vacations, we have mornings, we have evenings. It's a matter of committing yourself to asking that question. So let's talk about this, the difference between who you are and what you do. Do I work to live? Or do I live to work? Unfortunately, many people live to work which means they're in survival mode. And survival doesn't mean the minimum. Survival can be very, uh, very, uh, very elaborate and a very opulent and a very wealthy survival. But it's still focused on survival. So what is the difference between these two elements? What is live and work? There was a time in history where work was actually seen, manual labor was seen as something for the inferior, even though we don't believe in inferior people, but there was that belief system that the philosopher kings, the leaders, they didn't do ma- ma- menial or manual labor. They had others do it for them. They were busy with ideas, with transcendence, with spirituality, whatever it was that they were looking for, seeking higher values. It wasn't always higher values in the context of values, but it was not definitely not preoccupied with the physical work It was later in history that work became, whether it was the Calvinist Protestant work ethic or other philosophies, that work became something that was somewhat elevated. In Judaism, work was always a critical component to life, but it was always seen as a means to an end. But yet, we have to sanctify our work. As a matter of fact, in the Talmud, there's a statement that asks the question, there's a verse in the Bible that says, in the Tanakh, that says, Adam la'om a person was created to toil, to work. And the Talmud asks, what, is, what, what does work mean? And it has three opinions. Amal Malacha, the work of, actually, labor. Amal Sikha, the work of speaking, which is considered prayer. And Amal Torah, the work of study. Similar to the three dimensions I speak about, the spa, study, prayer, action. Cognitive work. Emotional work and behavioral work. So you see that work has many different dimensions. But it all goes back to why am I here? Why am I here? Did you come to this world to become a laborer? And labor could be white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter. We're not talking about necessarily whether it makes you sweat or it's cerebral work or it's analysis. Or in the world of medicine or science? Is that why you came to this world? That doesn't mean the work that you're doing is not noble. What What is the reason we are here? That's the real question. Because once you answer that, then you say, okay, the reason I am here defines my core being. Then I can determine my vision and mission statement. And that will in turn define what I should do. So who you are defines what you do. So it's predicated on first the first statement, like in any business one-on-one, what is your mission? If you don't have a mission, of course, your actions, your work, what you do is going to define who you are. Because there's no one else defining it. So it will be, this, it will be whatever the default. Right now, whatever someone wants of you, that's who you become. That's why it's so vital to understand that there's a body and a soul. And when I say soul here, I don't mean necessarily in a religious context. I mean a body as a vehicle, that upon conception and birth, that body becomes animated, and it carries within it, I'm calling it a soul, you can call it an energy force, you can call it your personality, you can call it your faculties, electricity. But it's definitely something, because upon death, God forbid, these two separate, the body and soul. And a body, even completely intact, is not functioning. So clearly something makes it function. But what makes it function is not just electricity running into light bulbs or appliances. There's more to your soul than electricity. It's not just an energizing force. There's a personality. There's the mind, the cognitive faculties. There's the emotions, the feelings you have. There are all the different aspects of what defines you and makes you, you. But again, sadly... Most of our education doesn't focus on that. It focuses on what you should be doing, how you can be successful. Successful means what? Make a good living, build a home and a family, whatever else the people define as success. And not enough emphasis on who am I and what is my mission. So here's what the mystics and the Hasidic masters say. Your mission is to use your unique soul which is unique, everyone has a unique soul, your unique personality and character, and all your unique faculties. Now, some of them are not unique in the sense that we all have similar faculties, but still unique in your way of expressing them, to illuminate, warm, and improve the world that you were given, meaning the corner of your world. One of the beautiful expressions is to turn a wilderness into a garden. Or... To create a home for the divine, a home for transcendence. That is your mission. Now you need to do this effectively. You need to find out what your skills are. You can't use skills that someone else has. You have to use yours. And that helps you define your mission statement. A recent time, we have been developed, I developed a actually a course. It's called Discover Your Personal Mission or Midlife Miracle which you can get and purchase online. And it's an in-depth digging deep into yourself to discover who am I and therefore what my mission is. And I have a whole formula there of how one can develop that. It's not an overnight job. It's, it takes work. But it definitely can lead you to understand yourself better and to put things in context: What's a means and what's an end? What I call a soul-centric life or a body-centric life. Is it driven by survival and you live to work? Or you work to live, meaning what you do is defined by who you are rather than who you are being defined by what you do. But for this to be effective, you have to commit yourself to to this mission. Now, this mission can be expressed in many different ways. For some people, it's coming to this world and making it a better place through goodness, through kindness, through other values, virtue, charity, justice. Now this doesn't take away from what you do. It just gives a direction and guidance towards some objective. Think about it. That wherever you walk, wherever you tread, every breath you take, every move you make, is driven by this deeper purpose. So besides giving a direction and, I will add, passion, because you're fulfilling the very purpose of your existence, it also is the best preventive and preemptive medicine against all the problems that come from boredom. What am I supposed to do? Who am I? And finding all kinds of short-term relief that is not always healthy for us to relieve and resolve the existential angst that every human being may have and does have from time to time, if not more often. The soul is a restless force within you. And I say restless in a good way. I don't mean restless as an anxious. I mean restless as in not being satisfied with the status quo. Restless as in always seeking to grow, to improve. And we see this. The human race is driven by that. Every technology, every trip to outer space, developed by human curiosity, resulting from human curiosity, seeking what's out there. Animals don't have this. Animals live in the same habitats that they've lived for thousands of years. They don't seek a better home, a better automobile, a better gadget, a better smartphone. Not only better, they don't even use technology altogether. Their mentality is about Surviving, existing, doing their job. And that's a beautiful role. But a human being is not satisfied with animal bliss. As much as we attempt to achieve that type of nirvana or serenity, it goes defies human nature because human nature is restless. Like a flame, the soul is like a flame. A flame is always flickering. It's always seeking. Look at the cardiogram, cardiogram of your heartbeat. It's not a flat line, God forbid. It's a wave, peaks and valleys, and a balanced wave. Your breath, exhale and inhale. Everything in your life is moving towards somewhere. Now, we can distract ourselves and say, you know what? I will grow. I'll make more money, more power, more influence, being liked more by others. Or that growth can go toward where it should go, like a flame of illuminating and warming and beautifying your existence and the existence of everyone around you. And the hard fact is this many of us do live egocentric lives, not because we want to, because that we didn't we were never given another option. We saw that around us it was it was it was valued and rewarded. So we've also become part of that. But there's another option. It's called a soul-centric life, not an egocentric, a soul-centric where it's not about me, 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 it's about giving more than taking. And that too is a feature of your inner self. Your inner self is more of a giver than a taker. Your outer self, what you do, is more of a taker than a giver. That doesn't mean that you don't give in your work and other activities that you're involved in, but it's fundamentally, at the end of the day, it's about your survival. It's about you existing, about you thriving. Whereas the inner life, where we speak about you're li- that you're working to live, the living, who you are as opposed to what you do, is far more about giving. Because it's giving what you have. You have beautiful qualities and beautiful faculties, skills, and all the other things you were blessed with to give. Now, what does that lead you to the next step? Confidence. When you know who you are and you're confident in your skills, how does life play itself out? Very different then when you don't know who you are and you're not confident, so you're busy either satisfying others or looking to emulate others, maybe that's me, when in truth it's all there right in front of you. It's concealed within you, but it's right there, it's yours. I love Michelangelo's quote that I quote all the time. When he was asked, how do you carve those beautiful angels in the marble? Michelangelo responded, I see the angel trapped in the marble, and I carved and carved and set her free. The angel is within you. The music is within you. The flower is within you. But but sometimes it's trapped in the marble or in concrete or in other substances. Basically, the who you are is trapped in what you do. Again, that doesn't mean what you do is a bad thing. But it shouldn't be defining your life. It should be expressing your life. But sometimes it gets trapped. And that's why we need to step back and say one second. What I do needs to be looked at as a form of expressing of who I am. And then you lear, lear, learn to you work to live instead of living to work. You know, they tell that uh, anecdote. The guy was in a little town, a person who grew up in this small town. And what he would do most of his day, he would fish. He loved to fish. So he would sit near, the, near a pond or the lake near the town with his fishing rod. And he had mastered his art and he would fish, catch fish, use most of it to, to, for a meal for his family.
1: And that was what he did.
0: One day, some type of like potential entrepreneur see, comes into town for a visit. You know, he loved the rustic, simple town. He came from a big city, there's a businessman. And he sees this guy fishing, goes over to him and says, you know, I see you're fishing, you know how to catch fish well. Why don't we go into business together? I will rent a little boat, we'll go out, and we'll catch more fish. You'll take what you need for your family, and we'll sell the rest, and we'll split the profit. Okay. So the fisherman, this guy says, the simple fisherman says, well, then what? He says, then we'll make more money, we'll invest it, and we'll get a fleet of boats. And then what? And we'll hire others. We'll catch even more fish. And then we can even export it to other towns. And we can turn it into a global uh, empire. And then what? He says, then we don't even have to go out to fish. We'll train others. We'll just count the money that comes in. And we can invest it elsewhere and build and so on. And then what? He says, and then once we make enough money, we'll retire. And we will go fishing. So he says to him, (laughs) I'm fishing already. Why do I have to do all that to go fishing? I'm already fishing. This story is told in order to capture that very often we get so consumed with the means and then we realize that the simple truths of life you already have. But we get trapped. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. But... You can imagine, suddenly you get distracted, and then you end up spending your whole life, like one guy told me. You spend half your life making money, you spend the other half spending it on medicine and and taking care of yourself. The point is that the means is not a negative. We're not talking about a necessary evil. We're talking about a necessity, but we have to distinguish between the vehicle and where your destination is. To say that your automobile or your other vehicle is the end no it's taking you somewhere, and the same is with all the material activities we do It's like making two columns on a paper, which is a good idea. What are the means of your life and what are the ends? You wake up in the morning, list everything you do and just write an M or E. Is it a mean thing, a means or an end? Is it taking you somewhere or is it the destination? Now I know some uh, I cynics or Thinkers may say, one second, isn't the journey the destination? The destination is the journey, as they say. Yes, when the, but, yes but, not, but when you, there is a destination as well. It means that the journey is part of it because it's leading you there. And part of it is actually the mission of our lives is to take our work and to take the means and turn them into something more beautiful. When you think of life that way, then your home, your work, your leisure, your vacation, your family, everything becomes pieces of this larger puzzle called the purpose of your life. The expression, do you work to live or live to work? I've heard that Europeans, especially French, like to say that Americans live to work. We work to live. So the work hours are not as pressured Because the end of the day is you want to live life. Now, the question I have is, what is their life like? What does that mean to live? To sip coffee with your friends? Beautiful. Is that the purpose of life? Just to be relaxed? The purpose of life is to transform the world in which you live. I use the word transcendence a lot because transcendence tells you that it's not just about what you see. You know, today you don't need faith for that. We all know that the invisible world is far more real than the visible one. What we see with our eyes, ears, taste, touch, and smell, our sensory, with our senses, our sensory experiences, is the tip of the iceberg, a complete surface. We know today that the forces that make this world work, whether it's on a macrocosmic level or microcosmic level, are things like cells, DNA. In the larger world, it's molecules, atoms, subatomic particles. And sub subatomic. You think of a computer program, there's the zeros and the ones that go down to the basic machine language. But on a surface level, we experience what we see. And it does seduce us into thinking that is reality. This is the deeper under, undercurrent of everything I'm discussing. Because we're so consumed with our senses and what we see stimulates and what we hear what we our sight sound taste touch and smell stimulates us so powerfully it can deceive us into thinking and we have been doing it for so long that that is reality and the rest is okay i'll dig deeper i'll find a little about it but we are not physical beings on a spiritual journey we're spiritual beings on a physical journey And all these outer forces are there specifically for you to align them to the inner. Remember, it's the DNA that shapes who you are, not who you are that shapes your DNA. And the same is true with subatomic particles. The matter of this world is defined by the elements, which are made up of different molecules, which are made up of different subatomic structures. So the same has to be with our lives. And the key is the alignment of them, not the elimination. You want the outer to reflect the inner. It's an interesting expression in Hebrew. The word for face, a face, is panim. Now, when we say at the face of it, we mean the surface level. On the face of it, it looks this way. But when you do go underneath the face, beneath the surface, it's different. Under the dashboard. In Hebrew, the word panim, which means face, also means inner. It means what you see is what you get. The inner and the outer are aligned. It's not like someone puts on, you know, we live in a world of duplicity. I could, someone can smile to you and then stab you in the back, God forbid. Two-faced, or what the Indians called, when they called the forked tongue, he speaks in forked tongue, white man speak in forked tongue. Says one thing means another. Echad bepe, echad lev. You say one thing and your heart says another. That's duplicity. In a world of duplicity, the face doesn't necessarily reflect what's within. In Hebrew, which is a pure spiritual language, the inner and the outer are meant to be reflected. Like you see children, what you see is what you get. There's a seamlessness. Now, I understand in a world that can be challenging and even worse, hostile and predatory, we sometimes need to conceal what's within. But when it goes to the, when, it, when it goes to an extreme, it becomes the world where packaging is more important than the product, the sizzle is more important than the steak, appearances are more important than reality. Like the cynics at Madison Avenue are saying today, the media often seems like they also believe that that it doesn't matter what happened; it matters what people think happened. That's called duplicity. That's called false. The goal is that this world, the outer world, should reflect the inner world. Which is why we begin our lives in our mother's wombs completely submerged in the embryonic fluids. According to the Bible, the, the world also began that way. It was completely covered in water, like fish in water. What's the uniqueness there? It's seamless. You're connected to your life source, and you never forget it. On dry land, we can, create the, we can have the illusion that we're disconnected from our life source, even though we need to breathe. The seamlessness of knowing that you're nurtured and protected and embraced, in the case of a child, of a, of a fetus, in, the, in your mother's womb. When you're hugged and embraced after birth and throughout your life, you feel valued. You feel that you're part of something bigger. When you stand in awe, of a beautiful sight, a beautiful painting, listening to exquisite music, you feel like you belong, you feel like you're part of something greater than you are. That's when we are at our best, when it's not our fragmented lives that control who we are, but you feel there's something greater that you're part of and that you're channeling into your life through your skills, through your faculties, through your opportunities, through the people you know, the places you go to you elevate it all to that inner narrative of who you are, not just what you do. And your work is to live, not your living to work. And then the work and living become seamless as one, and your work becomes an extension of who you are, not a contradiction. How many of us, our work is a contradiction of who you are? Marx talked about it in a very sharp and poignant way the alienation that work creates. He was right. The thing is, his alternative was not, he didn't have a viable alternative. So our job is to spiritualize our work, to spiritualize our material corner of this universe and turn it into a home and garden for the divine. And when you do that, you live the most fulfilling and most meaningful possible life. Thank you, this has been Simon Jacobson. MeaningfulLife.com is our headquarters, so to speak. That's where you can find our full schedule of programs. And we have over 14 programs a week for different audiences, topics similar to this one, addressing different audiences, different types of subjects. Check Check it out. And please, as always, share with others If you find this valuable, I'd love to hear feedback, thoughts, suggestions for future programs. And above all, live up to that angel within you. Express it. Spread your wings and soar. And and let everything around you soar with you. Thank you so much and be blessed. And I look forward to continuing next week. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at meaningfullife.com/donate.